Have you ever wished you had been taught how to study the Bible in depth? Because that is exactly what our partners, Chasing Sacred, are all about. Creating resources for studying the Bible that meet practical needs while also maintaining strong biblical literacy. The way they structure their studies are so purposeful, and they help readers understand the historical and cultural context, which is so important. They actually just came out with a new study on the book of Ephesians. You do not want to miss it. Just don't forget to put code abiding free for a 20% discount on any of their products. Click their link in our show notes and learn more about them at chasingsacred.com. Life can be messy and hard, but one of the things God has promised to give us is freedom. Freedom deep in our hearts that is not dependent on the ever-changing waves of circumstances, but set on the steadfast promises of God. This freedom gives us a secure identity, even with a broken past. It helps us have joy in parenting, even when we are completely exhausted. This freedom gives us love for our spouses, even when they are unlovable. And it can give us purpose in our careers, even if it's not the one we want. But I feel stuck sometimes, don't you? What does it really mean that Christ has set us free? That's why we're here. Welcome to the Abiding Free Podcast with Kristen and Shannon. We invite you to walk on this bumpy but beautiful journey toward freedom as we learn to abide in Him. Get ready for tears and laughter and everything in between. Because this podcast is about living from the truth that, yes, it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. Welcome back to the Abiding Free Podcast. I am so excited to be here today. Uh, We have Josh Buck, author of Everyday Activism. And really, I want to dive into this topic about injustice in our world today. And I mean, we just see it everywhere. And I don't know about you, but I can just get jaded. You know, it's just like, you know what, there's too much going on. There's too many hard things. I'm just going to focus on me and myself, you know, or even fall into like a virtual activism where I sound send out sound sound bites but am i really actually doing something to make a difference and and what does the bible even call us to and so we want to kind of dive into that a bit today and just welcome Josh Buck, father, husband, follower of Christ. And like I said, author of Everyday Activism. We'll have the link for that book in our show notes. But thanks for being here today, Josh. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. It has been a minute. It's good to see you and talk to you. So I became a Christian around the age of 18 uh, when I was wrestling with the truth of the resurrection. Uh, And I grew up in the church. And so I had a very typical arc, I would say, as a church kid of like, well, if I grew up in a different family, I'd be a different religion, but I'm a Christian. What does that mean? And for me, I always had this realization, I'm not a perfect person. I sin, I mess up. That wasn't the hang up for me. The hang up for me was, who do I give my life to and who is the solution to the problem of evil around us? Like who actually intercedes to make the world a better place? And for me, I was redrawn to the Christian faith, seeing that the resurrection is the key to a better world, not just saving individuals, but helping the world become a better place because we're in churches and we're sharing fruits of the spirit. and we become change agents in the world like Jesus and the prophets were change agents in their day and age. 
And so I get saved. I come down to Simi Valley, California to go to Eternity Bible College. And I, t- I touch on this in my book, Everyday Activism. But that opened up my understanding of Jesus in a way that I didn't learn growing up in the church. Because I, I, I learned that Jesus was a very kind, docile, like uh, lamb-holding middle-class white person who went on mission trips and tithed. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But when I read the pages of scripture, I was like, whoa, Jesus is radical. Like by any standard in the first century, Jesus is a radical person with a radical message. Um, And he was disrupting the social and family and political norms, the religious norms for him, for Rome. And then we see Rome being turned upside down by his followers going out with this message. And not just those who were the apostles, but people who were opening up their homes for church planting and who, you know, were um, caring for runaway slaves as Paul did in prison and house arrest. And we see this radicality of Jesus that I was discovering in reading the New Testament. And then as I learned, Shannon, the story of God, I realized that, you know, in the garden, things were meant to be beautiful and wholesome and incredible. And because of the fall and because of sin, those of us who are made in God's image begin distorting God's image and turning to other things instead of God. And justice and activism from a Christian perspective is simply partnering with God through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to help set the world back to its rightful place. And that's individuals caring about social change on a daily basis and that that is the gospel. And, you know, it's for everyone listening, it's just kind of amazing for me to even hear that because, Josh, like I said, you and I haven't talked for 12 years, but you were extremely instrumental uh, in my life because you pushed back on me you know, and my preconceptions or uh, biases or um, kind of the lens that I viewed the world through um, as a believer. And, you know, so this was 13 years ago and you and I got into, I think, a debate about political yeah. stuff. Right. And and I think what was so interesting is that you really challenged me in regards to what my passion to prove my point about these political things that I had and forced me to dive into the Gospels, really. And you and I, I think, spent a lot of time debating back and forth via email Um, I mean, I don't even know how many pages we probably wrote, but during that time, I dove into the word with fresh eyes and and the Holy Spirit kind of stripped like these preconceived ideas that I had and made me get to know Jesus in a real way. And what was interesting is through that process, I just felt I already loved Christ, but I just got to know him more and fell more in love with who he is. And in doing that, my heart began to break for what breaks his. And that's just what the word of God and the Holy Spirit did. And so um, I'm just, I'm just so, I just wanted to encourage you and thank you, um, for being that instrument in my life, because then God ended up calling me to, you know, start an organization to fight 
you know, against child trafficking. And, and so far, you know, we've worked directly with 400 kids here in Ventura County and over 400 in India. And it's just like, and that's, those are just numbers, but, but the main reality is lives have been changed. The gospel has been shared and people have been rescued um, from exploitation and, and shown the freedom of Christ. And, and that's, um, that's because that's what God cares about is what I hear you saying. We're not called to believe I feel like sometimes we can have, like you said, this wrong view of Jesus. And is that something you see a lot in the church? Or maybe not, I don't know if I'd use the word wrong, but an incomplete maybe? Absolutely. In communities that are more comfortable, I come from a white family, middle, upper class, military background. Uh, in, in, a, in a comfortable community where um, you have everything you need, you tend to interpret Jesus through your own lifestyle and lens. And that is very scary to do because there's a Jewish Messiah in the first century that wasn't American, that doesn't fit into our categories, that we are placing each other in all the time. And that should radically change us. And so for me, I was like, oh, wow, Jesus is confronting the type of people and communities that I come from because he loves us, not because he's like especially hating on people who come from wealth. It's because he loves us, cares for us, wants to bring us into the story of God. And so what I would say is communities of color and and people who have lived in and from the margins of society naturally understand Jesus being radical because they long for somebody who would understand their position in life. And Jesus coming from that position is important for us to recognize. Um, And in in my book, and for people who are like, well, how do you connect justice and mercy to the gospel? That's a big question. It's like, okay, what is the gospel and how do you actually connect it? Because my claim in the book is that acts of justice and mercy are intrinsic to the gospel, not something we do later on as Christians. It's actually intrinsic to the message itself. So the main proposition of the book is... Jesus tells us what his gospel is in Luke chapter 4. Jesus is beginning his ministry. He's opening up to the masses and he chooses Isaiah 61, which is a callback to the year of the Lord's favor or Jubilee in Leviticus 25. I'd encourage anybody to Google it or pick up the book, you know, to read about it. But Jesus is saying the good news is spiritual life, all the things that we've learned in conservative Christian settings, and social flourishing. Because when you read Luke chapter 4, and Jesus quoting Isaiah 61, he says, "The, The year of the Lord is upon me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the captives go free. He says, this is the year of the Lord's favor. And then he says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And he uses gospel. And then Luke and Acts, the majority of the New Testament, the majority of it is couched in that manifesto statement. And Jesus gives this spiritual and social reality to the gospel. And the problem is that our churches were separated in in these camps. The gospel is either about spiritual life and individuals getting saved and being forgiven of their sins and regenerating and living a holy, pious individual life, or it's about social flourishing, helping the poor, the needy. And, and 
that's a Western dichotomy. Most of the world doesn't suffer from that dichotomy. We in the West suffer from that when really it's both. And that empowers us in our life to care yeah. about both. Yeah. So I I was just having this conversation today. We kind of, we were doing this exercise where we were separating out, um, just looking at Jesus's words to the, to the Pharisees and then separating out like the, the traditions of what, what are traditions of the Western church and what are the actual commands in scripture of what the church should look like. And it's, you just reminded me of that because of what you're saying, because I do see this it does appear to be contradictory or a, di- a dichotomy where people, and I think a large part of it is out of fear. If you're on one side where you're holding fast and true to the truth in scripture, there's like this fear that if you dive into the other camp, you're going to compromise something. And then on the, I don't know, I'm curious your thoughts, but then on the other side, you know, people who are passionate about social justice, they have like this fear that if they're true to the word of God, that they in some way are not prioritizing the marginalized group that they are passionate about, you know? And so we were just talking about this, but it's very interesting because you're so right. The the word of God calls us to both by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's where life is because life isn't in fighting social justice issues without Christ. And life isn't in a personal relationship with Christ void of being his hands and feet. That's right. Yeah, we're up against a few things in the Western church and the evangelical white church that, you know, I find myself in. The first one is we've developed these camps internally where it's about spiritual life or social flourishing. And that's a false dichotomy that Jesus and the Bible totally rejects. That's the first thing. The second thing is what I would call the principalities and powers. Paul uses that language in Ephesians, even Colossians. It's the it's the evil spiritual realities that swirl around us right now, and it's it's American politics. And so what's happened is um, mm. we're expected to fit our faith or what we think about the way the world should be into the camp of the Republicans or the Democrats. And that is unbelievably dangerous to our faith and our churches and damaging to the cause of Christ. Because in the first century, everybody mm-hmm. was trying to fit Jesus into, are you a Pharisee? Are you a Sadducee? Are you an Essene? Or are you a Zealot? And these are the political religious factions of yeah. the day. And Jesus says, I'm confounding all of those things. And so for us in our churches, yeah. um, it's so important that we don't let the broader principalities and powers define our agenda as a church. We can't do that. And that's happening largely Mm. across the country. Yeah. And part of that's an identity issue, you know, of of who we are, right? I mean, who are we? If our identity is a, you know, a, a, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people chosen, you know, for his possession, if, if that's our identity, um, it becomes less, uh, tempting to fall into those traps. But if, you know, as Satan likes to tempt all of us, if our identity becomes in other things um, that are part of our life, I think he just really plays on that. And I, I think that I just wanted to read a couple verses that I think for those of us who are in maybe one side of the camp or just just struggling and feeling jaded, like we talked about with all the injustice around and and going back to my uh, the, what I mentioned about that exercise we're doing 
about looking at is what I'm choosing to spend my time on a tradition of man or a command of God for those of us inside the church. And I think it's so important to recognize that seeking justice for the oppressed isn't an option, right? Like, like it's not something like, oh, well, those people can do or other people can do. Um, Isaiah 117, you know, learn to do good, seek justice, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless and please plead the cake, the widow's cause, you know, or Micah six, eight, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And I mean, all throughout scripture, like you're saying, but I just feel like a lot of times it's one of the things in the church that we treat as optional. I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle with motivation to get into God's Word, and I love adding some aesthetic beauty and note-taking to my Bible study with the Mr. Pen Selah Bible Journaling Kit. This classy and beautiful kit comes with everything you need to add some fun and color to your study. This set comes with Bible tabs, highlighters and pens, stickers with a modern script font, gold cross paper clips, transparent sticky notes, and a lovely cream and gold supplies pouch to hold it all together. And today you can get a discount on the Selah Bible Journaling Collection on Amazon with the discount code SELAHKIT24. Use SELAHKIT24 on Amazon for a discount today. Yeah, absolutely. We do treat it as optional. And the hypothesis I'm putting forward in my book is that there's this little known thread that is massive throughout scripture and it's called jubilee leviticus 25 isaiah 61 luke 4 and that doesn't let us off the hook related to acts of justice and mercy and then you begin to see the new testament in a new light Um, james the very first person to write a book in the new testament is talking about you know being very careful with partiality and giving wealthy people favoritism in church we see him talking about faith without works is dead. He sounds a lot like his brother. Um, the creation of the diaconate early on, like mm. an entire position in the church was forged and created because people who were suffering and poor were not being taken care of in the church. So these are indicators that we cannot ignore mm. um, the intrinsic rights as though uh, intrinsic in the intrinsic rights of those made in God's image who are suffering, whether they place their faith in King Jesus or not. It is our duty as followers of Jesus to mobilize um, and to partner with those in order so everybody can flourish. Yeah. And I think that I, I, it's almost also, it's just so hard I think of myself before I've kind of experienced things I've experienced over the last 12 years. And there's such a lack of, I don't know, education or understanding or personal experience sometimes with people who are um, homeless or, or in marginal, marginalized positions. And I think that attribute contributes to the lack of compassion sometimes because there's just this lack of understanding of not always, but the way uh, trauma, you know, mental illness and severe difficulties contribute to some of these hard, hard situations and justice situations, injustice situations we're seeing in our world. And so that's something I've seen. And even today, like I was telling you, we were out um, 
you know, just sharing the gospel in, in a really hard part of San Francisco and, you know, seeing people that maybe a lot of people in, if I just say the American church would want to run away from because it looks dangerous or scary or evil. And it is evil. Like there is evil things that are being done. But what was so crazy is when I actually talk to the people and hear not everybody, but hear their stories, like my heart just breaks. You know, it, it's, it's, there's something about actually, you can say it intellectually, but actually knowing, like taking the time to get like down and dirty and hearing somebody, hearing from somebody that just makes it real and makes you realize this is why God has called us you know, to, to, to fight for the, the cause of the, of the orphan and, and plead the case of the poor and, and, you know, lend without, you know, all, all the passages that talk about this, because there's so many things we don't understand. That's what I've just been like, so humbled by. Like, we don't understand like half of these things. And there's just, I've felt even in myself, you know, it's so tempted to have almost an arrogance of understanding why people are doing things yeah. or, I don't know, just a justification for not getting involved. I don't know. Have you seen that as well? Yeah, I think um, I think people who come to terms with the fact that the world is severely diseased with sin and that manifests in all of the culture and all of our social systems and we want to get to work. For those that are listening to the podcast who are like you, who are engaged in the work that you're in and care about issues of justice and mercy, we have to be very careful how we engage because there's a habit of those from the West Mm. and particularly white Christians like myself that come in to situations of brokenness that they know not of and have a savior complex reality, even Mm. without knowing it. And um, I've had to apologize to so many people over the church planting years and over the years, just being patronizing and not realizing it being condescending and not realizing it, thinking you have the answers when really, like you said, Shannon, we have to listen and learn and display an incarnational mindset, which is humility, you know, a Philippians two humility in how long Mm -hmm. God himself was present in his context before he got to work. What does it look like for us to not be hurtful when we're trying to help? And um, so a lot of it has to do with the mentality of instead of I'm coming to help, I'm coming to partner. I'm coming to give the solution. I'm coming to mine and discover the solution with those who are suffering. And those are very, very different. The tangible solution, right? Just just to interject, because the the answer we know, I mean, the, the ultimate answer is the gospel, but the tool, you're talking about the tangible solutions of tangible help for the individual yeah. needs. It's things, you know, the gospel is always understood in context. And so we also are discovering hmm. from the people we're serving how the gospel is connecting to them in those impoverished situations. I'll give you a very quick example. I was uh, in Papua New Guinea back in the Cornerstone days, and I learned from some from missionaries. They translated Romans into the language of the locals, and it didn't land with them at all until they translated 1 John, and they realized this is a fisher fisherman people who understand the analogies and the mindset of John. So the, the mm. Bible itself is contextualized for local areas. So Yes, we can boil down, boil down the gospel to Jesus wants to save you from your sin. 
set your feet on dry ground, be forgiven, be saved, follow King Jesus. But we also are learning from the people we're serving how how does the gospel confront the idols of your culture? How does the gospel really draw you in as a comfort? And and so so much of our work is those mm. coming from wealthier communities and wanting to bring the gospel in word and deed. The people will teach us how to do that if we listen. That's so interesting. I know today I met this guy. Um, I think he'd, I'm sure he'd probably be okay with me sharing it. His name was Ishmael, and it's like he was a homeless guy on this on the side of the road that probably a lot of people, um, I don't know, it, it's, I would guess a lot of people um, may just like walk by or walk on the other side of the road just because of the way that he looked. And I started talking to him and it was just the craziest thing. And I've had this experience before, but today it was just really cool. He's sharing. And after talking to him for like 10 minutes, I'm like, I think this guy knows the Lord, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I think I'm going to see this guy in yeah. heaven. I'm like, hey, it's great talking to you. That's awesome. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really, really interesting. Okay, so if we talk, looking at your book, what are some of the practices of being a people of justice as, you know, maybe affluent, you know, Western Christians? Like, what are some practices that you see throughout Scripture and the Gospels that we can implement into our lives or or into our hearts yeah. that can make us impactful, yes, but also obedient to the call that we have as Christians. So the first three chapters of the book lays the foundation uh, of the gospel and saying that the gospel is spiritual life and social flourishing. Uh, We proclaim and embody the gospel and those things are connected all the time. And then for the next seven chapters, I have seven practices of Jesus to help create a just world to help promote social flourishing and change around us, especially if you're somebody who's not in a position of power or going to become a politician or a lawyer, or maybe like you or me start an organization. Most people aren't going to do that. So the beauty is that, you know, 98% of everybody who's ever been saved is in that boat where they can't change their position in life. Yeah. They just have to live there every day and have their job. And so there's seven practices from the life of Jesus. These are everyday, ordinary practices to help the world become a better place. And so a few of them are love. I talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Empowerment. We look at a passage where Jesus is rebuking his disciples for like wanting to take power instead of give it away. Forgiveness. Mobilization. Talking about local Mm. churches. And what I do is I unpack a passage from the ministry of Jesus for each of those seven practices. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, go on, can you um, elaborate a bit on the one about mobilization? Yeah, so I, I end the book on that practice, the seventh practice that I unpack. And you can't really take Jesus seriously if you're not committed to the institution and the spiritual family, Jesus was crucified and resurrected to start. And that is the local church. That is the capital C church, the global church that we're part of. And that is the lowercase c local churches that we must be in partnership with. So I talk about the local church as a place where we mobilize to change the world. It isn't a club. It shouldn't just be a place where we only get together with people that look and sound like us. 
shouldn't be a place where it's only the people from the same class and political views like church can easily turn into. No, it's a place where we gather to mobilize to change the world. And I give my my uh, analogy and the story I tell at the beginning of the chapter looks at the early church and how they were they connected holiness to caring for people during plagues. They connected piety with getting mm. in the streets and serving and loving people who were making them sick. And that's how the early Christians conceived mm. of Christianity, not just swearing less or sinning less or not doing bad things. That's what we associate with piety and holiness, where the Bible associates that and so much more with drawing near to the heart of God. Oh, yeah, that's so beautiful. What are some tangible things that you could say? Like, maybe even just in your own examples, like in your current local church, you know, what are some tangible things that you do or practice to be obedient to what you just said? Such a good question, Shannon. We just moved to Tucson, Arizona, and we've kind of bounced around after leaving Los Angeles. And so the first step is learning about our neighborhood and our community and seeing where God is already at work. So instead of me making assumptions on this is the poverty issues because I read Wikipedia or there's an article or I listened to one person, so I, I get the area. I come in as an outsider, Philippians 2, trying to be incarnational, going, I need to be humble to listen and learn about what God is doing in Tucson. So for me, that has to do with... Um, Growing where I'm already planted. So my kids are in sports. So getting to know the other parents and learning about what they're going through, where they work. And I ask a similar set of questions. What are the needs here in Tucson? What are the churches like? Um, I got a haircut today because I was a month overdue because I have three kids. And I found out, you know, my father got out of prison and he just got saved. He got a Bible. And I'm asking him, Tell me about your friends. Tell me about your neighbors. Tell me like what got you out of that lifestyle and what is it like here in Tucson? Because I don't, so, so much of it right now for me as a new person, an outsider perspective, you listen and you learn. And we have joined the local church. We're going through membership. It's not perfect, but it's also like, it's got some humble leaders there that are pastoring. And so we have to be engaged and we're asking them, how can we serve? And they're telling us you can do this and do that not just on Sundays, but the ministries that they're involved with in the city. Yeah. And I think that's where something that I've been just kind of wrestling with just because of the way that our traditional local church bodies are structured, people can, and I don't want to minimize this, but almost check the box of serving by helping out on a Sunday morning service which I don't want to say that in a disrespectful way, because that's, there's, I mean, who am I, you know what I mean? And there's value to that, but that's not doing what you're saying, which is um, really beautiful the way you describe that. So I think it's just a good thing for us all to consider in our own hearts is, are we just checking boxes in our head or are we living a life on mission? Are we living a life that is radical the way you're describing Josh, which is looking at where you're at and seeing what the needs are, seeing where it is God's calling you and inviting the Holy Spirit in to use you and being intentional 
it sounds like, and focused on impacting your community in the way God would call instead of kind of just compartmentalizing our lives, I feel like. Does that make sense? It does. And we as Christians would be willing to engage in the broader culture. And it also starting with the family unit. I believe that to be true biblically as well. So it's both and. It's not like cultures changed by upgrading systems and tearing them down or cultures change just by focusing on your family. It's like we have to take this holistic approach that we see in the Bible. And so it's also that attending to discipleship here in the home, trying to become a better husband, trying to become a better father, all those things. Yeah. Thank you so much, Josh. I just, I highly recommend everyday activism and, and I know for myself, I'm just convicted during this time to just be diving, not reading again, this, I don't know why it's just popping in my head, but not just reading the word of God and checking it off. But like Josh is saying, diving in to see you do and almost investigate like how you're talking about being so intentional with investigating your community, what the needs are. It's like, let's read the word of God to search it and to know it, not just reading it to like be, be, of course we want to be encouraged, but not just like, Oh yeah, you know, God spoke to me or, or check this, but like, let's be diving into the word of God. And what does God want? What is God's heart and diving into our communities? Like, what is the need here? How can God use me? And then relying on the spirit uh, to give us the strength to make an impact um, and to be like Josh is saying, an everyday activist. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you have a second, please share this episode with someone you love. Also, if you could scroll down and rate our podcast and follow us on social media at Abiding Free, this will help us reach more with the message of freedom. Yeah. And then just be sure to join us next week for another episode and know we love and are praying for you.